All right, let's turn our Bibles to Judges chapter 15, if you would please, Judges chapter 15. And the title of my message tonight is Nothing Sweet About Revenge. Nothing Sweet About Revenge. Actually, this is what I was going to preach this morning. Things got switched around here a little bit. Always got to be flexible. But uh, nonetheless, we're going to be looking at Samson. When we last saw Samson, you remember he was headed back home, back to his daddy's house uh, at his... um, wedding feast that he had. He was betrayed by his bride. He was outwitted by these uh, Philistines, 30 Philistines. And so he was a little bit uh, hot under the collar. He was definitely angry. And Samson then kills 30 Philistines, took their clothing, and gives it to those um, uh, men that uh, had the gambling debt with. And he went back home, and he soaked in his anger. And now, so far, Samson has been anything but a good, godly example. And he he was born to be a judge in Israel. No question about that. He was sent by God uh, to deliver the nation of Israel. But all we've seen thus far is a man that cannot control his passions. I was talking to some young... You know, I don't know what it is, but maybe it's just because I'm getting old. But it seems like uh, kids have really changed from what the way things used to be. I, I mean, respect, anger. I've never seen such. I, we, we talked about it in our society, right? I mean, we see it all the time. To a depth, I, I've never seen it that, like that. Such anger and hatred. I mean, if you dare disagree with them, they want to get rid of you, silence you, and um, shut you down. Um, but and in fact, there's some that even talking about murder, you know, you disagree with us. We have a right to even uh, whatever it takes to put you, and it's happened in our society. But kids just lose control. Uh, we've had kids attack teachers, kids that, that because they, um, words are said, they, how they react with fists. And they just start, uh, just start swinging. And, and I'm not just talking about boys either. Girls. I'm telling you, we, you know, we bring a few in on the van. It seems like every week there's somebody's mad at somebody else. And, and then, you know, maybe even after the service, they're best buddies again. But, uh, boy, but just anger and hatred. But Samson was definitely an example of someone who loses control of his passions. And... And in this passage, we'll see once again his, the selfish side of Samson. Uh, and uh, he, uh, we'll watch as he uh, takes revenge against the enemies, his enemies. We'll see the outcome of anger and, and that, it, that it, if it's allowed to uh, uh, con- go uncontrolled and, and the damage that it can cause. And... And we'll also see that revenge may appear attractive. It may appear like something, that's what I want. That'll really make me feel good if I get even, if I get revenge. Uh, But when it's born in the heart, that may be so. It may look like it's going to be something we want. But in the end, it becomes a very bitter thing. And that's what happened with Samson. So I want to point out a few lessons here from the, the life of Samson. And uh, I, I believe in this passage, we'll see that uh, it's wrong to try to get revenge. Um, 
It's never right. It's not worth the cost. And there is nothing at all sweet about revenge. But let's go ahead and read the first eight verses of chapter 15. But it came to pass within a while after, in the time of wheat harvest, that Samson visited his wife with a kid. And he said, I will go in to my wife into the chamber, but her father would not suffer him to go, would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I verily thought that thou hatest utterly, or, or hast uh, utterly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to thy companion. Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. And Samson said concerning them, Now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. And Samson went and caught 300 foxes. How in the world do you catch 300 foxes? Uh, he definitely had to have a supernatural ability. But, and, and then not only that, he took these 300 foxes and uh, took firebrands and turned tail to tail. How do you, you know, you think about that. A uh, fox is a small little animal, but some believe it's, they're kind of a, a mongrel dog or, like, in, in Israel. But nonetheless, I don't care dog or, or a fox trying to time tail to tail and, and 300 of them, boy. I, I think I had to, had to have about 300 people helping, but not, we didn't see that. Uh, just, just interesting to think about. And he turned tail to tail and put a firebrand in the midst between two tails. And when he set, had set the brands on fire, he let them go into the stand, standing corn of the Philistines and burn up both the shocks and also the standing corn with the vineyards and olives. Then the Philistines said, who hath done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the uh, Timnite, because he had taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. And Samson said unto them, Though ye have done this, yet will I be avenged of you, and after that I will cease. And he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. And he went down and dwelt in the top of the rock Edom. Father, I pray now that you would just give us wisdom here as we look into this passage and to be able to glean from it what you'd have for us. So help me to deliver the message you've given me uh, with clarity, with power, and we do give you all the glory, for it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. But I want you to see, first of all, Samson's attempt to return, his attempt to return. He wanted to go back and just act as if nothing had happened in verses 1 and 2. So here's his plan. First of all, he runs away uh, from his own wedding. He's all mad. He uh, uh, stomps out and he, he never stays to consummate the marriage. And in time, though, as he's, you know, wallowing in his anger, things cool down. And uh, Samson decides, you know what, I'm going to make amends uh, uh, with my wife, my bride. So he returns with a nice present, a goat. Oh, what, what woman does not want a goat, right? Why? He doesn't come with a bouquet of flowers or chocolates. He comes with a nice goat. And so he brings her this goat. And he goes to her. Now, this is the idea that he has. I'll, I'll go in, uh, that he will consummate the wedding. He'll uh, settle in to live together as husband and wife. That was, that was Samson's plan. He's going to return uh, to his bride. And, uh, but now, uh, it didn't quite turn out the way Samson planned it. The problem here is seen in the latter part of verse 1, Samson's father-in-law. Uh, not that he was all the problem, but... He refuses to allow Samson into the uh, woman's chamber, into his bride's chamber. 
And so he tells Samson, as far as, uh, as he is concerned, the father-in-law speaking, he said, the wedding's off. And uh, after all, and now they were technically married, but he said, that's it, it's done. And uh, so Samson, he said, you, you demonstrated a lack of love for this girl. You left. You had no desire. You abandoned her at the altar, and, um, and you ran home to mommy or daddy. That's exactly what he did. So the father assumed that Samson hated his daughter, and that's what he says in this passage. Uh, he said, I thought you hated her. And he, and he gave her to another man. That's what the father did. Now, the marriage was uh, between Samson and this uh, Philistine woman was, in, in effect, annulled uh, in the eyes of the father-in-law, but not in Samson's eyes. So now here's the proposal. Look at the proposal the father-in-law makes. The father offers Samson a trade. He encourages Samson. And, Look, he said, I've got another daughter, her sister. She's younger. In fact, she's even prettier. Now, wouldn't that be nice that dad would compare you like that. Oh, yeah, your sister's a lot prettier than you are. Uh, but that's apparently what he did. He didn't think anything of it. And so he said, Samson, take her. You can marry her, and, and everything will be fine. And the father, he, you know, really what he was thinking, and he believed that Samson didn't love his daughter, that uh, uh, he was attracted to her physically, attracted to her looks. And, and so he was, and, and by the way, I, I believe he was probably right. How can you love someone with this great passion of love when he just saw her? And, and, and the Bible doesn't tell us he got to know her. He just saw her. He says, Mom, Dad, she's the one. I want her. And uh, so he just was looking at the outward appearance. And so her father-in-law, or her father, his father-in-law thought, well, hey, I can just offer the other daughter, smooth everything out. It'll be okay. That's all he wants anyway. Uh, again, not much character. But listen, we're dealing with the Philistines here. These pagan people, they didn't know the Lord. Uh, but Samson did. Samson had no excuse for the way he behaved. And not that there's an excuse for the way the Philistines behave. You understand what I'm saying, but that's the way lost people behave. Uh, but Samson's learning a valuable lesson the very hard way. You can't trust the Philistines. You can't trust them. And uh, Samson has been cheated by these people in three ways. First of all, he lost his bet with the, these Philistines uh, because they cheated him. Remember, they threatened his wife and uh, threatened to kill her, and she told him the secret. Then his wife had been uh, taken away from him, given to his, could have been his best man. It was one of those 30 men, that, uh, those Philistines. And then the dowry. I, the Bible doesn't say there was a dowry, but there always was in a wedding at this time. And so um, this uh, bride price, if you would, that Samson paid for this woman, that Samson's family paid. And that had been uh, forfeited as well. And so I, I would encourage you to remember that God warns his, his people against forming close relationships with the unbelievers um, and with unsaved people. You know, we, we are seeing the Philistines here, but that's who the Philistines are compared to. They are the, the lost individual, the unsaved, uh, the, the fleshly nature and so then the Bible definitely warns us of this. He, he uh, uh, forbids marriages, God does, forbids marriages like Samson's. Even today, he forbids you and I. Uh, well, we, we could safely say for those who are not married, God forbids you to marry an unsaved person, Christian. Uh, 
very clear on that. Go with, I know you know this passage, but look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. I don't think we should ever uh, stop looking at this truth about unequal, um, being unequally yoked together. And that's what this verse says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And there is none. And so, um, Christian, if you're not married, don't even consider. You, you know, that's why I would say don't even consider dating an unsaved individual. Uh, but most of us here, there are a few uh, here tonight that are not not married. They're young people. And I encourage you, think before you jump. Samson, he didn't think at all. He lusted, wanted, demanded, and um, it created a lot of problems uh, for Samson. And it does today. That's why God warns us, be not unequally yoked together. That, uh, so that prohibition is for today for Christians. I like the message. Um, I know little Dallas uh, liked that message too. The kids did. Uh, Brother Terry Angel preached about, uh, um, now if I can't even remember the title, but tying knots and uh, out of Psalms chapter 1. Uh, there are some knots that we need to have. There's really, there's no happiness, and that's N-O-T-S. Uh, you, you know, people... They act as though they're going to melt because someone said no to them. Uh, there's whole websites devoted to how they have been um, uh, told they can't do this or that in certain churches. You know, they had, and they're so now they're just traumatized because of that. Well, you know, you know, you can you can sense that I really don't have much pity for them. Now there are some churches. I'll be honest with you, they uh, have gone overboard. They, they pretty much just said, if you don't do this, 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 you can't be saved. You can't be right with God. But look, the Bible has a whole lot of don'ts, a whole lot of things it says not to do. In Psalm chapter 1, it has a few things there too. And so... There are things that we ought not do, and this is one of them. Don't be unequally yoked together. Uh, that includes more than just marriage, by the way. So here's where it can be ap applicable for all of us. It includes friendships, business relationships, uh, social relationships, and we can go on and on, and uh, uh, very close associations. And so believers need to be very careful about the kind of people that they form those close relationships with. You know, the fact is, all of us can be impacted and influenced by the wrong kind of friends. Uh, because, look, we, we, can, we can get to like those people, love those people, and we can become very close to them. And then the danger is we want to please them. We want to, uh, you know, we don't want them to think anything bad of us. We don't want them to break that friendship. So we may compromise in ways. I say that because that's exactly what happens time and time again in the lives of Christians. So be careful of that. That's the warning the Bible gives. That's not what, just what Randy Miller said. That's not a Baptist uh, uh, doctrine. That is Bible. And is, uh, I believe, most Baptists would believe that. But believers need to be very careful about that. 
the wrong kind of friendships, the wrong kind of relationships can have a devastating effect on your spiritual condition. Listen to these verses in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Be not deceived. Evil communications, evil friendships, relationships, corrupt good manners, corrupt good living. That's what the Bible says. And, and look, it's, we, if we're honest, we would uh, uh, understand that's true. Proverbs 13 and verse 20. He that walked with wise men or walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So there again, how our close friends can have a major impact upon our spiritual condition. And so the kind of people we want to have around us, Christian, I'm talking to the believers tonight, the kind of people that we ought to have our desire to have around us are those that are going to better us, those that are going to sharpen us, those that are going to, to help us to grow spiritually and become stronger in our relationship with the Lord. And just to, uh, again, share with some scripture with that thought in mind, uh, listen again, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, and let us co uh, consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. That's what a true friend does. They encourage, they motivate you, they push you to do what's right, not what's wrong. You know what happens in a lot of relationships. You got an unsaved and a saved individual. And the unsaved says, well, if you really love me, you'll do this or whatever it may be. If you really love me, Samson, you'll tell me this riddle, the, the, the answer to this riddle. You'll, you'll let me know if you love me. And look what happened to Samson. And, of course, it happens again. We'll see even worse. And, uh, but my point, again, is clearly the Bible tells us that the kind of people you and I should have around us are those that are going to uh, provoke in, uh, uh, us unto love and to good works. And then Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpeneth iron. And so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You know, a good friend doesn't always tell us what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. Uh, and uh, aren't you thankful for true friends like that? Those are the kind of people you want around you. They're going to make you a better person for the Lord, not to pull you down, but to make you better uh, into honoring the Lord. Proverbs 27 again, verse 9, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. So doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Don't you like the hearty counsel? Someone will just tell you like it is. And so a friend that says, you know what? That's not a good thing that you're doing there. Uh, a friend that's more concerned for you than they are about you liking them. Now, they want that, but they're more concerned about your situation and what you're in and where you're headed, and they're willing to tell you what you're about to do is wrong. You shouldn't do that. Um, they're willing to give you that hearty advice that's needed. Well, the principle taught here is that... Not, that um, not that we should totally separate ourselves from the world or those in the world, for the Bible clearly tells us that we need to be a witness to them. We, need to, uh, uh, we are commanded to share the gospel with them. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And uh, the Great Commission, go 
and teach and baptize and so forth, disciple. But um, the, we should, however, understand that there is a vast difference between those who are saved and those who are lost. I just last week, I asked a young man who said he was in a relationship, and I said, well, is she um, saved? Well, she, you know, and he started giving some of the usual things. Well, I, she, I think she goes to church, and yeah, how do you know? Well, you know, and they started giving excuses. I, I asked, I said, don't you think that's important? Yeah, but, but it's amazing, isn't it? Our minds will justify what we know is wrong, what we know can end in a disastrous way, our minds can deceive us. James even talks about our, us deceiving ourselves, and that's a real danger. So great to have individuals around you who are going to tell you like it is and uh, tell you the truth and what you need to hear. Iron sharpeneth iron. And, but what a great difference there is between a lost person and a saved. And so when we allow ourselves to get too close to the lost world, we're going to pay a high price. Uh, so l listen, um, let me go back there to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I don't know if I want to read um, how many of those verses I want to read, but let me just have you turn with me back there to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And look with me at, uh, again, at that same verse we read earlier, verse 14 where it says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? Verse 15, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an, un, an infidel? And what uh, agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, key verse here, Come out from among them and be separate. Oh, very similar to what the uh, command was for Samson. And we are commanded today as Christians, as believers. This is not to every individual. As God's children, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you and will uh, be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these uh, promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Oh, some powerful verses. But um, nonetheless, here's Samson's attempt to return. His attempt to return, uh, really, he should have attempted to return to God. But he, instead, he wanted to uh, return to this woman, and um, it, his plan didn't go like he wanted to. Secondly, I want you to see in verses 3 through 6, Samson's attempt to get even. Now, some of us like this. Yeah, like to get even. Instead of taking his defeat like a man, and instead of going home and regrouping and saying, oh, get before God and, and humbling himself, saying, oh, God, I have really blown it, and I, I ask for forgiveness, and I want to do your will and, and live a life that's pleasing to you. Instead of doing that, Samson says, you know what? I'm going to get even with these scoundrels. And the problem with getting even is this. It's impossible. It really is. Um, 
He's about to find out that revenge always escalates out of control. And, and, and so he, he's about to learn the, the truth that violence always begets violence. And that's exactly what happens here. Uh, his motivation there in verse 3, um, well, look at that verse, um, at verse 3. And Samson said concerning them, how shall I be more, or now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. And so his motivation I would look at the language there in that verse. He's concerned about one person. Did you catch it? Himself. He's concerned about Samson. He's concerned about what they've done to him. Look what they've done. He is motivated by his revenge, or to go into revenge, by the vanity in his heart. And so notice how he even seeks to justify his actions by claiming, well, hey, They've done a whole lot worse than I'm about to do. And uh, so that, and that's basically what he's saying there in verse 3. And so Samson's motivation for attacking the Philistines is all wrong. He should have been attacking them because, and because they were oppressing the people of Israel. And that's what God wanted him to do. He should have been attacking them because this is exactly what God has raised him up to do. He should have been attacking them to help deliver his people from the bondage that the Philistines had the Israelites in. Instead, he attacks the Philistines because he's mad at how they had treated him. And so he, he's, going, he, he's doing what God called him to do, but he's doing it for all the wrong motives here, the wrong reasons. And so I, I hope you can see that tonight. Yeah, he, this is what God, God did raise him up to deliver the nation of Israel, but not with this motivation. It's all selfish here. And so this is a, a, kind of a good place for us to park for a few minutes and to take a look at our own motivations. Um, what is our motivation for serving the Lord? Uh, you know, that will determine our faithfulness to Him. What is it that motivates you to serve the Lord will determine how faithful you are to the Lord. And it will regulate our service to Him. So when we serve God because we receive some benefit in return, uh, we're going to be very shallow in our devotion to him. If we think that, well, uh, it's kind of like a dog, right? I'll, I'll do that if I get a treat. You know? So they just kind of do it uh, robotically and, uh, to get that treat. And that's kind of the, the, the similar the way people respond to God. And if that's it, we're going to be very shallow in our devotion to God. And when the perceived benefit is no longer there, then we'll uh, drop off on our faithfulness to God as well. If I'm not getting what I you know, want to get, then I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do, uh, if that's our motivating factor. And for instance, someone comes to church out of a sense of obligation, uh, uh, out of a desire to be a part of a social outlet, and then they join a, a club. Or, or they join the, a lodge. And that new outlet meets the same need and they stop coming to church. Well, I'm getting what I need right here at the lodge, at the Moose Lodge. Or I'm just using that as an illustration. I mean, it could be anything. could be a, a, a social event of some kind. And I'm just not thinking of anything right. It could even be a sporting event. I'm getting, I'm getting my social needs met right here. Why do I need to go to church? If that's our motivating factor uh, is the uh, social 
uh, needs that we have, the social outlet. Or someone serves in the church because they receive all kinds of thanks and gratitude uh, that's coming uh, to them from the church, from the congregation. But if that thanks stops, then, uh, you know, we uh, are, you know, that gratitude dries up, so does the service of that individual. If that's what, what their motivation is, uh, well, they don't appreciate me anymore, so I'm just not coming to church. And uh, see, that's a very shallow motivation there. Uh, and the same is true for those who serve simply for monetary gain. Uh, when the money's gone, they're gone too. And um, so this is a warning about uh, seeking to attract people with some gimmick. Uh, uh, you know, by using something to get them to come. And again, we're not, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, using maybe for a child, you know, uh, giving them awards and things like that. But I'm talking about if this is why uh, the main reason someone comes is for the gimmicks, when those gimmicks stop, or they, you know, they, okay, we've done this, now what other big event can we do to try to get more people in? Uh, you know, does the pastor need to parachute from the steeple? And that will be exciting, and, and, uh, or, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, we'll have a flyover. Uh, you, you know, th there's all kinds of gimmicks that we can use, but it has to continue to get bigger and bigger for those people to keep coming and coming. It's not going to, it, it's what they're, they're looking for the next high, so to speak, in excitement. And so a lot of the churches that have resorted to worldly methods and resorted to all kinds of gimmicks to draw that crowd will uh, see that crowd fall away when the gimmicks are gone. And so that's why we need to examine our motive. Why do we serve the Lord? Why do we come to church? Why do we do the things that we do? I think it's important that we ask ourselves these questions. If we're motivated, and here's the thing that ought to motivate us. Um, Paul talked about that thing that constrained him, that motivated him, that, that caused him to get up every morning. It was the love of Jesus Christ. That's what constrained him. That's what motivated him. And if that is the case, if, if we are motivated by the love of Jesus Christ, our Savior, if we are stirred by the thoughts that, that all, of all that he has done for us, that he died for us, that he was buried in the tomb for us, that he rose again the third day for me, he did all of this for me. And that, this is uh, the, the thoughts that stir our hearts and the blessings that he's done for us. He keeps us saved and, and continues to bless and provide. And, and if we realize that everything we have is merely a product of his grace, then we're going to have the proper motivation for service. You see, if we really love the Lord, it doesn't matter if the money stops, if it was for monetary gain. A, a pastor... You know, he's getting paid a salary. What if that salary stops? Does that mean, okay, well, I can't serve God anymore? No. I don't, if, if, uh, if somebody uh, doesn't treat us right or somebody doesn't give us the appreciation or the thanks or, and, and honor should be, you know, honors do or honors do. We should recognize those individuals, but sometimes it's overlooked, right? But that's not our motivating factor. So if none of those things happen, 
We have the love of Jesus Christ, and that's what gets us up in the morning. That's what causes us to serve him and knock on doors and pass out tracts and come to church on Sunday morning, on Sunday night, and Wednesday night. That's what causes us to read the Bible. That's what motivates us. And that is the greatest thing that we can have, the love of Jesus Christ. That, that motivation will enable us to fulfill um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're close by, look at this is a great verse. I know you know this verse well. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. 1 Corinthians 58. If we have the love of Jesus Christ that motivates us in service and doing everything we do, here's what um, uh, it'll enable us to fulfill this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. You see, if the love of Jesus Christ motivates us, we will be unmovable. We will be steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. See, there's the right motivation. There it is. And it's all about the Lord, not self. What is it that motivates you? And I believe the Lord wants us to ask that question to ourselves and be honest. What is it that motivates you? What is your passion tonight? For Samson, it was lust. That's what motivated him. It was pride. It was selfishness. And look at the mess he got himself into. Well, then I also want you to see his methods here. Uh, in verses 4 and 5, uh, Samson's determined to exact this uh, uh, revenge on the Philistines. And so he catches these 300 foxes again. That just boggles my mind to try to think about. He ties them tail to tail. He makes 150 pairs of these animals lights this, uh, 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 this burning torch between their tails, and then turns them all loose. Man, uh, that had to be quite a sight as flames were going everywhere, catching everything on fire. Uh, these animals were terrified. You know, this fire's chasing them all around. You can just imagine what they were doing. And so they were running through the wheat fields, the, through the olive groves, through the grapevines, and uh, the vineyards, and burned everything to the ground. And Samson's loving it. It's working out exactly like he planned. Yep, I'm getting my revenge. And this would have definitely been a devastating blow to the economy uh, among these people. In fact, remember in verse 1, it tells us this was the time of wheat harvest. These weren't empty fields. The fields were full. They were ready for harvest. And they lost everything. Um, there was no insurance back then either to help them out, was there? And so he, he's upset because uh, uh, about losing his wife. He, he's upset because he still smarts from what these men did to him and outwitting him, these Philistines, at the wedding feast. And he, he just can't let it go. He just has to have his pound of flesh. And maybe for a moment, boy, he was high. He was enjoying this, seeing all that burn. And then I want you to see, though, he didn't calculate everything out just right. Isn't that the way it is when we act on passions? We just don't think. We just act. And we, we think this is going to help us feel good. Look at verse 6 in chapter 15. Then the Philistines said, who hath done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnites, because he had... Uh, taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burnt her 
and her father with fire. Boy, now he, uh, Samson, has his revenge. He probably thinks, okay, now this, this is going to be the end of it. I've got the best part of it, and, and if that was his thought, definitely he wasn't thinking straight. Uh, he, he, wasn't, he didn't know who he, was, who he was dealing with. These Philistines are now very upset uh, because they lost their crops, they lost uh, the, the wheat, the olives, they lost all the, the, the vineyards, and, and so they ask around, they say, who in the world has done this, who's responsible? And of course, they have a lot of people say, oh, I'll tell you, Samson, he's the guy. He's responsible. And so being the pagan people they were, being the wicked, selfish men they were, they instantly were filled with the thoughts of revenge and uh, vengeance. So, uh, but these Philistines, they don't attack Samson to his face. Oh, no, these guys are cowards. They know what Samson will do to them. So what do they do? They attack somebody they can have the upper hand on and somebody they know that they will hurt Samson with. And uh, so they, they attack others, uh, uh, attack Samson through the lives of other people. And so they attack the woman that he was married to. They attack her father, uh, and they burn them alive. I, don't, I can't think of a worse death than being burnt alive. And they probably shut them up in their family home and lit it and watched as they screamed and, and as they breathed their last breath in that flame. And so they, uh, uh, and what a terrible scene this had to be. But it, it showcases the truth that vengeance or revenge has the tendency to escalate. And boy, can it get any worse than this? Uh, someone does or says something to us or about us, and we respond back in either more actions and words, and they respond back to us with even harsher actions and harsher words, and so it goes until uh, uh, lives are ruined, reputations are stained, and relationships are, are, are forever shattered because of revenge. Lies are told. Uh, why? You don't care about the truth. You want revenge. You want that person destroyed. And, um, and that's what's happening here, and we see it played out in the lives of people even today. Let me just tell us all here. Let me, I guess, um, make it clear from what we see in the Word of God. It is never, it is never, never, never God's will for us to seek revenge on, uh, against those who have hurt us or whatever may have happened. Uh, now, now, most people are, are, are of this kind of thinking. They think, well, I have to defend my honor. Yeah. And so if, if, they, if they are attacked, they think it shows weakness on our, their part if they just take it and let it go. Now, I'm not talking about physically. I'm not, if our, you know, the family's attacked, I think we have every right, and even biblically, to defend our, our family, even to defend yourself. But I'm talking about more of a, a word war. Sometimes, though, it goes much further than that, doesn't it? And uh, Samson, but he thought he had to defend his honor. Look, when we are set out just to defend our honor, ourself, uh, that we become, we get in that selfish trap. We get filled with pride. And we'll see 
as it plays out here in the life of Samson. But it's never God's will. Um, most are, are, are very quick to rise up against those who have attacked them, and they attack back and, uh, with extra measure of violence and vengeance. And, and uh, again, that is not God's plan for you and I, Christian. I, I'm not saying I have not felt that way. I'll be honest. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, we, we probably, many of us, if not most of us, have at times had that desire. But when we are attacked, we must not attack back. And obviously, clearly, we're never to speak lies, slander, to try to get vengeance. And to do that puts us on the same level as, as those who, who have attacked us. So those who attack others, those who spread rumors, those who gossip, those who try to ruin reputations, really they are the lowest of low. And to do so tarnishes our testimony and it reveals that the love of Jesus Christ is not a powerful force at all in our lives if that's the way we behave and act. Let me tell you, when you do not act like the world expects you to act, when you act the way the Lord wants you to act, that is when the testimony is shining brightly. That's when the world around you says, boy, we never expected that. That's when you will stand out for the Lord. Um, so those who attack others do not love them, uh, but they are walking in hatred. And uh, again, to do that reveal, reveals the pride that's in our hearts. Those who attack think they are right and everyone else is wrong. And uh, they are walking in pride. And when we attack them back, we're no, no better than they are, but we are walking in pride. Why do I say that? Because we are saying that, that life is all about me. It's all about us. And not about the will of God for my life. That's over when we were saying... I want to get my pound of flesh. I want to get revenge. What we're saying is it's all about me and what I want. I don't really care what God wants. Don't really care. We may not say that, but our actions are saying that when we set out for revenge. And so we're walking in pride. Now, how are we supposed to respond when we are attacked? And I'll, I'll say more about that, but I realize just now that we're out of time. But I think it will, we'll be able to show that God has a, definitely a better way, a better way of responding to our attackers. And, and uh, uh, we'll see what Samson did. But here, obviously, we ought to be governed by the Spirit of God that dwells within us. Don't, if we are um, controlled by our passions, really what we're allowing to happen is other people to control us. Uh, people know how to push our buttons. And we explode. We react. Let's allow the Spirit of God to control us so that we won't react, that it won't be about me and, and getting my way and uh, defending my honor, but it'll all be defending God's honor and, and glorifying Him through all that we do and say. All right, let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, uh, I know there's, as we look at the life of Samson, there's a lot of things here that we can learn not that we should not do. But it's very obvious to us in our world today that too many believers have fallen prey to the same thing. Yeah, it does feel good for a while to get revenge. 
But then things begin to fall apart. And then reality settles in. And sometimes it's too late. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us all not to be controlled by our anger, by our lust, not to be controlled by any passions within our, our sinful bodies, but rather to be controlled by thy spirit. So you have your way. If there's anyone here tonight that's not saved, may they come with this invitation. And may Christians, if they need to, come and pray. Pray for someone that maybe has wronged them. And uh, pray for uh, help to forgive and, and to uh, uh, try to make amends. So God, you help us to be what you want us to be. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand, heads bowed and eyes closed.